You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. So we're back to our series, and, and uh, as you know, we started the series just to bring everybody up. It's called, you know, the title of the series was um, Deep into the Shallow. And the idea, the premise behind the title was identifying things that we drown in that are shallow, right? And today we're going to unpack something. I want you to see it, you know, we're going we're gonna to read quite a bit of scripture. But it really is about, you know, understanding the spiritual, and, and I want to emphasize the spiritual angle to what, we, what we're joking about. You know, we're joking about drama, we're joking about these things, but there is a truth. There's a very important truth in there. And, I, and I'm telling you, that I'm, you know, this is a big statement I'm going to make because there's a lot of things that we could put in this statement, but if I had, you know, this is my opinion now, but if I had to pick the number one reason, pay attention now, the number one reason Christians don't see the full manifestation of God in their life, the full manifestation of blessing, the, the covenant protection, so forth and so on, is because we haven't understood this, how toxic drama, or if you want another word for drama, strife, and the spiritual angle of it that it comes to a house. So that's what we've been working on. So it's not just, you know, I didn't, you know, Pastor Box is running out of things to preach. No, trust me, no, I'm not running out of things to preach. <laughs> There's a lot we haven't covered, and we're only, we've only been doing this for almost 30 years, so... There's still a lot left. So um, let's go right into it. Open your Bibles to, J- to James chapter 3. And as you're looking there, you know, let's, let's just pray over this because I really want somebody to, I, want, I really want you to take something home this afternoon, um, this morning. Father, I just thank you for the word and I thank you, Lord, what we are unpacking and what we're presenting. And Father, I know it's taken me many, many years to even grasp the depth of it, which I believe I haven't gotten the full depth. But Father, through this, we, we grow, we become better Christians, we have a better quality of life as believers. And I just thank you for everyone here. I thank you for our online audience that's watching this morning. I thank you for the upcoming service in Laredo, Father. Together, you know, Faithway is not three churches, it's one church in various locations, and we bless everyone in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's go to James chapter 3, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. You're like, oh boy, it's going to take us a long time to get through this. But you really have to pick up context. And there's a couple angles before we, before we read it. Number one, James was half-brother to Jesus, which is pretty interesting. You know? So he had an insight that probably nobody else really had because he grew up with Jesus as a little brother. He was also the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which was one of the most persecuted churches. And he was a very, very wise man and Many times the book of James is referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. So there's a lot of wisdom, and you know you almost have to read the whole book to get to this, so we're not going to do that. But I do want to pull this truth out because it's all connected. I was just going to pull the, the, the scriptures I needed, but I said, you know what, it's, it's, we have to do it justice. So I'm not going to run through this. If it takes me a couple of weeks to finish this outline, that's fine. But, but you've got to get the truth out of this because it's something that personally we've experienced in my house and for many years, and again, my kids are in the building today, and they grew up in this. 
we, you know, we didn't know things and, you know, Monica's background, the way she was raised, the way I was raised was very, diff very different. But nonetheless, in her background, there was a lot of drama, a lot of strife, a lot of anger, a lot of issues. In my house, we had some of that, you know, it was different. But nonetheless, you know, when we started our family, um, it was like one of those things that we didn't really think about that much. And we were always, always, always involved in a lot of, you know, insignificant, well, they started as insignificant, but at the end, it wasn't insignificant. How many know what I'm talking about? You start with an insignificant argument, and before you know it, it escalates, and it escalates, and it escalates, and it escalates, and before you know it, the whole house is in a mess. And, and we went through the many, many years of this. You know, I'm talking many, many years of, of really not being able to identify it. And I think it wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't know the damage. It's just it's so hard to identify it. And I think that's really the goal of this series, that we, we will all get a biblical understanding of, number one, what it is. That's, that's the title of this message. You know, where, where, where does this come from? And number two, what is the spiritual significance? Because we are in a spiritual environment. Can you say amen? And these kind of things affect everything about your life. You know, some people say, how can this affect my, my healing? How can this affect, you know, peace in my home? How can this affect my finances? Well, I'll tell you, this is the one area that I think affects every area of your life if it is not controlled. So let's go right into it. James chapter 3, I'm just going to go ahead and read out of King James Bible. I, I actually looked through a lot of translations, and I just couldn't come up with a better one. So we're going, we're going to go old school to King James um, they're all, they're all very accurate. It's just the, the flow of King James is what I want to read out. I'll just read out right out of that. I got them on my notes here, but let me just get it here in paper form. All right. My brethren, be not many, verse 1, masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, that's, beginning of verse 2 is really where the, where the meat of, of what we're going to talk about today is. It says, for in many different things we offend all. If any man offend not in the word, the same is perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. And I underline in my notes, I said, if any man offend not in word, the same man is a perfect man and also able to bridle the whole body. And I think on the screen you might have the, well, it's the King James, just trying to compare them. So, you know, right at the beginning, he's, James is telling you, you know, this is something pretty important, right? He's saying, if you can control this, this one thing in your life, it will control a lot of other things in your life. And that is really the, the premise of the series. You know, to get and understand how conflict, strife, drama, backbiting, all the stuff that we all deal with every day on so many levels. You, you turn on the news, it's going on. It's going on in the government. It's going on in the workplace. It's going on at home. It's going on everywhere. But you have to see the spiritual significance. It's very important. So, so in verse 3, James continues. And then, you know, of course, he's making an analogy. He says, Behold... We put bits in the horses of mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are turned away with very small helm, whichsoever the governor listeth. Even so, now, so he's taking an analogy of what? Now he, he brings something else in. He says, even so, in other words, the comparison is what? To the tongue. And we're going to deal with that later, maybe not even today, but it's, it's within the, the teaching. He says, but the tongue is a little member, and it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a manner a little, little fire kindleth. And, that, and it goes back to that statement I made previously. You know, you start something that is very small, a little comment, a little seed, a little something didn't go your way. And okay, we all deal with that. That's just called life. But then what you do with it can go from a, 
little tiny flame that has no, will not cause any, more, any damage. It won't burn anything down. But if you don't take care of it, it'll burn the whole house down. Amen? And that's what he's saying. So he brings in the, the idea of words. So, so just, let's just leave that hanging. That's not where we're, we're not there yet, but I just wanted to show you that. And then he goes on and says, verse 6, If the tongue is a fire, a word of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire, pay attention, of hell. So now he talks about an influence. For every kind of beasts and birds and serpents and the things of the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I mean, this is pretty serious now. Now, he's just talking about words. This is, you know, he's talking about, you know, but the, but the beginning, you know, he, you know the, the, he wasn't talking about the tongue. What was he talking about? Offense. Remember that? The, 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 the teaching began with, if you can control offense, you can control a lot of areas of your body, and then he begins to unpack it, and, that, and now he's dealing with the idea of the tongue. And then it says in verse 9, it says, Therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith we curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either wine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show of a good conversation his works with meekness of kingdom. Now we get to verse 14. So everything is, everything is connected. Now I was just going to pull verse 14 out, but then I kept reading. I said, no, no, it, it's not going to do it justice, and we're going to lose some context. So that's why I'm reading the whole chapter for you. But now he begins to really continue to unpack what he's talking about. This started with what? Y'all still with me? Offense. Remember? The conversation started with being offended. So then he begins to break it down. He says, but verse 14, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, Glory not, and don't lie against the truth. So now he begins, now he's given it a name. He says strife, and if you read some other translations, it also defines it as jealousy, as envy and jealousy. Bitter envy and strife says, glory not, lie not against the truth. Verse 15, this wisdom. Now that is interesting because he says that even what's happening in verse 14, he calls it wisdom. And that is interesting because, you know, what is wisdom? First and foremost, wisdom is, is the ability to use knowledge. That's all it is. You know, wisdom is not that you're smarter than anybody else. Wisdom is that you, that you have the ability. There's people today that got a college degree, but they can't find a job. Right? And they got all the degrees, they got all the paperwork, so they have a lot of knowledge, but they don't have any wisdom. Because wisdom would they say, well, let me figure out how this works, and I got a degree, now I got to get a job. So wisdom would help them navigate with the knowledge they have. So when, when the word wisdom is presented, it's telling you there's a reference point. There's a reference point. You don't just, I don't have a reference. So he says there's a wisdom, there's information that's coming from knowledge that, you, that now, because wisdom is really not how much you know. Wisdom is what kind of decisions you're making with what you know. Amen? All of us, all of us will, are going to get faced with information of all kinds, every day. I mean, Facebook, you know, text message, somebody texts you something, you see something on the news, you heard something, somebody told you, somebody called you. What is that? That's knowledge. That's simply knowledge, you know. For example, somebody's called you and says, hey, did you hear what so-and-so is say, saying about you? That's knowledge. 
That's just information. It could be true, it could be a lie, but nonetheless, there's no, nothing has happened yet until your wisdom is applied to that situation. Because now, you, gotta, you can make a choice. Do I blow it off? Or do I take it in and begin to dwell on it? That's a wisdom, right? Because wisdom would say, blow it off. But there's another wisdom, and that's what he's referring to. He says, the, this wisdom, the choice to take the knowledge. Pay attention, church. The choice to take the knowledge and do something with it that is toxic, that wisdom does not descend from above. But it's earthly, it's sensual, and devilish. And this is the reason I'm telling you this is one of the hardest things that I have faced in the identification process. Because once the fire is going in your home, and you know what I mean, not the real fire, you know, strife fire, fighting fire, the divorce fire, the you know, everybody's at everybody's throat fire, whatever you want to call it, the strife fire. You know, when it was a little thing, we could have put it out and just step on it, right? Now we're having to call the fire department. And I think one of the greatest dangers is the second word that we find in its definition because he says this wisdom has come, is, 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 is a process of decisions you're going to make, but that wisdom didn't come from God. Number one, that didn't come from God. So if it didn't come from God, it only came from two other sources. One is you, and the other is the devil. Somebody fed some information, maybe it was your past, maybe it was your history, and he says, but it's earthly, in other words, flesh, it's reactive. There's really no... When, when he says earthly, he's referring more to a flesh approach. When somebody hits you, what is your first response? Don't, don't act all sanctimonious this morning. Well, I'm going to call the cops. Well, yeah, maybe you could do that. Most of us just hit back. Somebody pushes you, you're supposed to push back, right? I mean, something like that. So that is carnal response. That means there was no, really no thought to it. It was just somebody hit you, you hit them back. It's earthly. In other words, it's... It's just a flesh response. Amen? Y'all still here? Maybe this is the wrong message for the right crowd. You guys look so glorious, holy this morning. You know, like, why would he even be preaching this? Because you know what's going on in your house. That's why I'm preaching this. I don't know what's going on in your house, but the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in your house. And he says, so there's a wisdom that's reactive, but the next one is the one that I've had the most trouble with ever. The central aspect of strife. Now, now, take away all the sexual you know, reference to sensuality. It has nothing to do with sexuality. The, the idea of sensual is that something entices you and brings you to a place that you're not even aware you're going there. That's what sensuality means. It means that you're being um, influenced. Now, most of the time we think it in a sexual or you know, that woman is very sensual, or that guy's very sensual. What is he doing? They're attracting you, but take away the, the, the you know, that, take out the, you know, the, the sexual context out of it, then what is it? That there's something that is drawing to you, and you are going to it, you are convinced that that's the path to take, but behind that, there's, some, there's, a, there's an alter motive. That's what sensuality is. So it's drawing you, and you're not aware that behind that draw, there's a darkness that's going to affect you very, very deeply. Amen. You all still with me? So you have the reactive response, the flesh. Then you have 
the sensual response, which is, you don't know where it's going. And that's, that's the reason, here's a, here's a question y'all can answer with a nod or answer on the inside. Think about the last, greatest, biggest meltdown you had in your family or your life or your moment. It could have been, some of you say, well, that just happened in the parking lot when I was pulling in this morning, you know. Whatever it was, at the end of it, or, you know, your fight with your husband, your wife, or your fight with your kids, and, you know, people left the house, and it never, the plan, of, the plan was never for it to go that far. Are you still here? You know, somebody said something, and you said something. And then they said something, and you said something else. And they said something, and you said something else. You don't know you're getting pulled in through a place where you are convinced that, that you are right. And now at the end of this, you know, somebody just stormed out of the house, or the kid just left the house, or your husband left the house, or your wife left the house, and you're sitting there over thinking, wow, how did we get to here? Can you say amen? amen. Now, not, not, by saying amen, that doesn't mean you admit that happens. That means you know what I'm talking about. That's all that means. Which, if you were brutally honest, you probably it's happened to you at some point. And you say, I never, I never expected this to get there. And what is the other thing? If I would have known that this little fire would have ended up here, I would have gone there. Well, that's what the central aspect of it is. That it, it enticed you, you didn't see it coming. And, and again, I'm guilty of this one because we'll start a little discussion of something and before we know it, we have a full-blown argument and you're thinking, oh, mm, I got sucked into it again. You don't recognize it. And that's really what we're trying to do this morning, well, not this morning, but you know, through the series, is to begin to recognize these little things because you know, if, you, if you don't recognize the little foxes, they're just going to plow through your house. You can't kill something until you see it, right? So that's what the word sensual means. And then, of course, the last one is pretty obvious. It's devilish. There's a wisdom in here because the wisdom is I'm protecting my rights to be mad or somebody trampled my rights or whatever. But at the end of this, the root of this is Satan. He is planting these seeds. He is trying to... And look at, look at our nation. You know, I'm 55 years old, and no, I haven't lived all my life in America, but, you know, since I was like 20, I've been here, you know. <laughs> well, 20-something. No, I wasn't here 20. I'm trying to get all my math in my head right. So we've been here 30 years, whatever. But nonetheless, look at the country. I've never seen it so divided. It's always been divided, but like, like now it's really divided. And everybody thinks they're right. The left thinks they're right. The right thinks they're right. You know, and there's no place of agreement and there's no place and the devil's just having a field day because America's all torn to pieces. You know, not, not that I really care for the Olympics, but when I was a kid, I looked forward to the Olympics. It was one of those things. But all this nonsense that I'm preaching about has polluted so many things that I could care less about the Olympics anymore. I'm not going to watch something where people are disrespecting America. I'm sorry, you know, you know, you don't like America? Go to Cuba. I'll take you. I'll leave you there. You'll come back, you'll, you'll look like the Pope, man. You'll get out of a plane, you'll be kissing the ground, man. You'll go buy a Trump flag. <laughs> but no, they're over there, you know, on national stage, international stage, you know, making fun of this nation. I'm not interested in that. And, and what has happened? China's beating us in the gold medals, and everybody else is beating us in sports that we, that we controlled, basketball and, you know, gymnastics, and almost in every, every area. There's a few that we're still hanging on to, but almost in every area... I mean, come on, France beat America, you know, are you kidding me? These are all NBA players. It's not that they're bad. You know what's happening? It's just this nonsense has infiltrated. This snake has gotten so deep into everything that it's just tearing everything up. 
Now, you know, again, I don't care for them either. I'm not, this is, I'm not bashing anybody, but the women's soccer team, you know, they were pretty good. Well, they got it handed to them this time. I don't, I think they, I don't know if they made bronze. And it was, you know, in a, in a weird way, guys, I was happy that that team lost. And not only did they lose, they didn't lose to Germany. They lost to Canada. God bless you, Pastor Mel, if you're watching. We got some great, lovely Canadian friends. But, you know, America to lose in soccer to Canada is, you know, I don't want to make any more comparisons. I was going to use the Cowboys, but we don't even want to go there now. So it's it's like, um, but what I'm saying is this devilish aspect is the biggest one that we got. So you have the, 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 the flesh response. You have the sensual response, which is you really kind of got sucked into a place of strife. But then you still have the devil just fueling and fueling this thing. And what you see physically in this nation, from the sports worlds to the political realm, it's the same thing. He's contaminated. He's polluted it. This whole nation can't get along. Nobody can get along with anybody. You know, my philosophy in life, and I'll tell you, it's really simple in life. This is what I'm teaching my grandson, and hopefully a lot of people around me get it. I don't care what you want to be. You want to, you know, pick a letter. LGBTQ, ABC, you pick one. I really don't care. That's your life. I don't want you to go to hell, but if you want to make a choice to go to hell, that's your choice. I really don't care. But at the same time, I don't want you invading my place either. Not even my air. I don't don't want to contaminate your air. Don't contaminate mine. That's the place where I want to be. That's actually kind of where the series is. We want a place of peace. But this nation is not like that because this has been sown so many years and so many times that now we're really beginning to see the fruit. Now, you can, now what I'm saying is you can see this on a national scale. You can see it on TV, but how about your house? Because here's the, you know, the funny thing about Christians are we're a funny bunch. I'm, I'm sure we make God laugh so much. I think the angels just kind of go to God some days. Oh, I'm glad you made them. They're so fun. It's like, you know, Heaven's Netflix, that's Christianity, you know? It's all full of drama and stories, and you guys have your little mini-series going on at your home, and they never end, and replace actors every once in a while, but this, you know, y'all know where I'm going with this, right? You know, if you've been married and divorced three times, you might be looking, you probably should buy a mirror, because I think that's where the problem is, all right? It's like, no, I just, I just got three bad husbands. Maybe they got, no, let's stop there. Maybe they weren't that bad. They just ran for the hills, you know? I'm saying it's, we can make excuses. Christians do not like to be called out and say, hey, maybe the problem is you. But I'm your pastor, and I get to do that. And I'm calling myself out because if I have lived this in my own home, I'm, you know, if, if there's something, hopefully I will be known as a pa- pastor, I try to be as transparent as possibly can. That's, you know, I, I don't like phoning. And to say, oh, we lived in this beautiful little peaceful home for years. And no, it wasn't like that. There was a lot of conflict, a lot of strife, a lot of infighting. Now, glory be to God, over the last, I want to say, five or six years, a lot of this has really almost completely disappeared. Why? Because my wife and I, as believers, just because you're a pastor doesn't make you mature. Come on, church. Maturity comes from application. Something that Kathy said during praise and worship, you know, and, and I might not word it exactly said, but the heart of it was, we're here to learn how to live. We're here to take the word of God, that's, what, that's kind of what she said, and apply it. Unless there's an application of all this, we just wasted a perfectly good Sunday morning. We could have all slept in today, right? 
No, but we're here for information. We're here to take something home that will be significant enough to say, you know what? I see it now. And hopefully as one person sees it, so if your house or your life is filled with strife and anger and infighting, this message is definitely for you. And again, you can't change people's lives because again, Christians, first of all, we don't like to take responsibility. It's the devil. Yes, the devil is probably behind it, but there is a part that it's up to you to control it. Well, why doesn't Jesus make you stop it? Because Jesus gave you his word and he gave you instructions and he, and he gave you the one, two, three, four, five on how to resolve some of these things. He's not going to just come down with a zap and zap the whole family. He says, but you don't understand, Pastor. Everybody in my house is a, you know, they're not Christians. I'm the only one. Well, glory be because then you carry the responsibility. Somebody has to understand this. That's all I'm saying. That doesn't mean everybody in the house has to understand it. One person has to understand it. And that one person has to fight for it and apply it first and foremost in their own lives. Don't worry about changing anybody else. Start with changing yourself. Amen? So, I know I spent a lot of time on that point, but I'm trying to build a big foundation on, on what we're talking about, and then we'll, then we'll start breaking some of this down. So, as we continue reading, you know, in verse 14 and 15, now he says in verse 16, here's a big one. 16 is, is, is like the key scripture. For where envying and strife is... There's no gray area on this scripture. There, right there. Everybody say right there. there. Do your little finger like this. On something, on your phone or something. Right there. Where envying and strife is, right there, there is confusion. And how much? Every, not half, not five, every evil work. And here's where the Christians, as believers, we have to understand this. You know, we have a responsibility to identify this. Because he's already told us. He's not hiding. This has been out there for thousands of years on paper saying, look, where this spirit is, it's not just strife. It's not just we got in a fight. It's not we had a little argument. Where that spirit resides, there's every evil work. Now, you want to list evil works? Every form of sickness and disease? Every catastrophe, every crisis, every situation that could go really bad really quick, it's right there. Every evil work. So if you can define something as an evil work, it's there. So now we have a responsibility to say, you know what, I have a job, number one job as a believer in my house is, guess what, it's to close the doors. And I'm not talking the the physical doors, yeah, you know, we do that every night. I'm talking about spiritual doors. There has to be somebody in your house, hopefully it's you, that can see this from a spiritual perspective. And everybody wants to fight and argue about whatever. You know, this is, it, it's, I think it's so funny that where people go with this. You know, for example, I'll give you one. We'll just talk about our family. We'll talk about Monica's family. That's even better. So Marisa, which is in heaven today, which Pastor Marisa, she passed through the church. You know, she passed away a few years ago. And Maggie, now she's leading the church in Mexico, and they're sisters, and they're like, they were BFFs and everything. There was only one problem. They love soccer, because in Mexico, you, that's what you do. You watch soccer, right? And one would go to one Spanish team, and the other one would root for the other Spanish team. One was Barcelona, one was Real Madrid, not that any of you care. But it got so bad between them, Kathy, they couldn't even watch soccer anymore. I said, y'all see the game? They said, well, no, we don't watch it anymore. I'm like... It's just a game. Yeah, but we don't watch it. But you guys are like big fans. I said, but we don't watch soccer anymore. They didn't want to tell me. I said, what happened? Well, I kept digging, right? Because at the same time, I'm their pastor, so I get to dig. 
And you know, I kept digging and came found out that the last time they had it, they had such a big fight. Now these are both of them are in ministry. They're bo- they're pastoring a church. They're leaders, and they can't sit down and watch a f- soccer match because they're going to end up mad at each other. I know. I know. I'm not picking at them, but guess what? As silly as that sounds, every one of you deals with that every day, in some form or fashion. Little insignificant things. But they had recognized it to the point that said, if we have to stop watching soccer to control this thing, then that's what we have to do. So actually, they were doing a very mature thing. It would have been way more mature to say, let's just watch a soccer game and enjoy it. But they couldn't, because they were so, you know, (laughs) big fans of opposing teams. And to me, it was just kind of, it was silly, but it was serious because they, they had recognized it to the point to say, we, we can't do this because every time we watch it, you know, until we control that, we have a greater responsibility. So that was the maturity, right? They said, we don't watch that game because spiritually it's affecting us. So that was a good choice. Obviously, the best would say, let's find out why we can't watch the game and let's figure this out because it is pretty stupid. But that little scenario plays out on so many levels. But my point of it is, where envying and strife is, that place, there will be, always be confusion, and there will always be evil work. And then he tells you about the other wisdom. Now, he's talking about your right. Get ready, if you're taking notes. The wisdom, you want it in a nutshell? Your right to be angry. I have a right. People ran over me. Yeah, okay, whatever. That's wisdom. You might have, you might have all the evidence, you might have all the documentation that makes you right. That's fine, but that wisdom didn't come from God. That's all he's saying. You can, be as, you, know, you can be very, very right and be very, very lonely. Come on. You can defend a mountain, and you can keep that mountain, but when you look down at your mountain, the whole mountain's been devastated. There's nothing left. Everybody's left the house, but you, want, you were right. That's exactly what he's talking about. That's the wisdom. But now he breaks down the heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom that is far from, abo- from above is first pure, Peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace that makes. So I know that's a lot of reading, took a lot of time of my my message, but I I wanted to just, like I said, we're going to unpack a lot of this in the next few points. All right, let's go to the next one. So now that you got that as a foundation, here's, you know, a little, just a little note that I was thinking about. In my life, it was true, and hopefully I'm controlling it a little better. But, you know, some people just create their own storms and they get mad when it rains. You know anybody like that? They start a lot of drama, and then when the drama's, the fire is big and burning everything down, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what happened. That's what we're trying to learn. Okay, let's keep moving, RJ. Just wanted to throw that one out there for you. Number one, I'm going to give you just a few points till the clock permits, and we'll pick it up next week. I'm not going to rush it. Number one is identity crisis. If you want to know why, we, I'm going to give you some points on how to begin to control strife, how to recognize it, and so forth. So number one, I believe it's an identity crisis. And this is you know, kind of what I was thinking about. If you don't know who you are and are comfortable with who God made you and why you are here, in other words, purpose, then what happens? You will be focused and upset about other people's success, other people's actions, good or bad, other people's demeanor, how they carry themselves or they don't, their skin color, etc. And again, the... the the teaching is not to just teach on becoming a new creation. You could do that a whole series. But becoming a new creation, pay attention to this. When you said, Jesus, come into my life, you might not know this you know, in, in complete context of what I'm sharing with you, but when you said, Jesus, come into my life, you made a decision. 
to become a new creation. That, I mean, you did it. 2 Corinthians 5.17, don't go there, but just says, if you, are, if, you, any, you know, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. What does it say? All old things have passed away. Hey, everything. Actually says, look, everything has become new. That's what a new creation is. You know, we had a way of living. We had a way of talking. We had a way of carrying ourselves. We had a way of behaving in the world, and that's expected from the world. You know, if you are in the world, yes, you're, you're, you know, the world expects you to live a certain way, to party a certain way, to you know, drink or whatever you do. But then you make a choice, say, you know what, I'm done with that. I want to be a believer now. So you say, Jesus, come into my, my life. You've become a new creature. But here's where us Christians need to focus. Just because you're a new creation doesn't mean everything becomes new. Amen? The application of this, I mean, everyone in this room, everyone watching me online knows this is true. You know, you can say, oh, Jesus, come into my heart. Did, did your thinking completely change? No. You still got that old nasty way of thinking. You still got that vengeance way of thinking. You still got a lot of so a lot of times Christians are like, okay, I got my ticket to heaven, and that's all I'm ever going to worry about. And okay, and, and I'm not even going to walk down that path. But that is not God's expectation. <laughs> Did y'all just leave all at once? Come on, say amen. There's an expectation. A new creation. You could say it's the what the born again experience. So let's bring it down to just something that everyone's aware of. What's the experience with any born again? A baby, a newborn. Right when they're born, they need 100% full attention, care, diaper changes, all that. Feed them. You know, their first few years, you always have to be, you know, the more they grow, they get a little more space, some more air. Eventually they become adults. Well, the things that a, that a baby does between the ages of one and two years old is usually not too bad. You know, I mean, you you got to change diapers. you got to do this. Come on, moms, help me. And dads, right? But what happens if that kid never got past that stage? Even now, you know, now he's 10, but he's still acting like a 2-year-old. He's still wearing a diaper. Still spitting up his milk. Well, you know, he's got issues. Yeah, mama's boy. That's his issue. Okay, so let's see. Yeah, that's not, you know, 10 years old, okay. Uh, probably not a good thing, but, but what happens if that same child is now 18? Now, that's pretty serious, huh? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not, I don't want to change that diaper. There's a lot in there now. I don't want to be graphic, because I know, you know, but you know, what I, you know where I'm going with this. You know, if, if, he, if he burps his milk, it's not going to be wipe it with, off with a cloth. It's like, go get a towel, a beach towel. You know, everything changed, and now it's not normal, and it's weird, and now you got an 18-year-old, you got to change diapers, and he really has no physical condition. What's going on with all this? You know, there's something that is not fixed. Well, it's exactly the same thing within the Christian experience. When you become born again, when you're a baby, you're that baby, and God expects you to still be, have a lot of flesh things and a lot of world things and bad attitudes, and God still loves you, and when you vomit and say something stupid, God cleans your little mouth, and... When you poop on yourself, God changes your little spiritual diapers. But that same believer, after 18 years, you would think that he's gotten a few truths, like this one. Because there is a command. And I, and I know command is a big word in the New Testament, but it's a command. We're called to be peacemakers. That's what we're called to be, peacemakers. But you look around church, you, I mean, you go around any town in America, well, maybe not Hebronville, because it's a little different than most towns, but... There, I mean, you go to, let's say, a mid-sized town, and you'll, go down, you'll be driving down, you know, Bible, I call it Bible Lane, or where all the churches are, and you'll see, you know, First Baptist Church. 
You go about three blocks, I just, when we, when we went up to um, Abilene, there was a town that was hilarious because it says, first, and it's a little tiny town. It said, First Baptist Church, and you went two blocks, and then it says, Second Baptist Church. And the town is like 300 people. And I'm like, what happened here? Well, you know what happened. They all used to be at the First Baptist Church. But something didn't go their way. So they started their own church. And who are these? These are God followers. And there's infighting and there's biting. Come on, church. Y'all look at me like, Christians, you know, if there should be a people on this planet that can resolve conflict and can resolve pressure and has a clarity of how things are, it should be the believers. Say amen, guys. It should be us. You know, the world's the world. That's in. That's earthly. Yeah, it's earthly. It's sensual. It's devilish. We get it. But what about those things transferring back into our own homes? And the, and the same thing. So, you know, the identity is what, one of the things that you have to resolve is unless you are comfortable with who you are and accept the, the, the process. Let me, let me back up because I'm way ahead on myself on this one. But the new creation process, when I, when I use the word process, means don't get frustrated with it, but it is a process. And I'll be honest with you, what I think, I don't think we'll ever finish the process until we get to heaven. I don't think it's fully completed till we get there. But, but from here to there, my little pet saying that I say all the time, we have to continue to be pointed. In other words, we can't just ignore things. You know, we came from that. My wife and I came from a... I, I came from that because, I, from my, not from my, so much from my parents' background, but what, I, what happened between ages, you know, 15 and forward, and I was on my own in my life and so forth and so on. It molded me to be angry. It molded me to be not trustworthy. It molded me certain things in, in me. She came because she was raised in that environment. It came to me from a different angle. But now we're both believers. And guess what? We're still fighting like if Jesus didn't even exist. Say amen or grunt. Or is it just sitting home? That's why y'all are so quiet. Because in church, everybody looks Christian. Look, look around. Look at them. Just look at them. Just go ahead and look around and smile at somebody. You look, y'all look so spiritual. But you imagine if all of us went to everyone's house all week, including yours truly, Y'all might not come back next Sunday. Oh, I didn't know Pastor said those big words like that, you know. Have you ever been to a house, and it's happened to me many times as a pastor, it has, but it's not a pastor thing, it's just a, it's just a thing. You go into a house and they're like, hey, so good to see you, but you walk in, but you feel the environment, and it's tense, and it's toxic, and it's like, like you don't even want to be there, and everybody's got a, hey, we got they don't tell you that two minutes before you rang that doorbell, they were about to kill each other in that house. <laughs> but as soon as you rang, because pastor's at the door, este pastor, este pastor. Glory be, Pastor Vox. You still got the bat behind you, right? And your wife's eyes are all swollen. It's, oh, it's got, I got allergies. <laughs> Gee, I, I'm glad you told me you got allergies, because I would have thought you all just had a big fight. You know, silly me. I'm trying to make this as funny as I can because it, it is a very important point. I'm telling you, this is my opinion. I am convinced that most of our problems as believers in not seeing, not seeing God move in certain areas comes down to this. Not to this point, to this whole idea. But I, when you identify yourself, because what are the things that causes jealousy? Because one of the words that, that, that James uses is jealousy. Well, jealousy can only come from observing other people. Jealousy can't come from anywhere else. You're not like minding your own business and, you know, 
all of a sudden you just get jealous. No, you see somebody driving better. You see somebody dressing better. You see somebody something better. And something rises up within you. How come I don't have it? What's going on? You're dropping your eyes off of who you are. You're dropping your eyes off who Jesus did. Because guess what? Jesus made you unique with your own gifts and callings, with your own path of prosperity. Every one of you has a path of prosperity. Trust me. Well, how come I'm broke? Could be this. Because doors are doors, people. And the devil is an opportunist. And if you open that little door of strife, every devil comes with it. Amen? So identity crisis, again, I didn't, I didn't want to spend so much time on this, is you have to go ahead and accept and be thankful and eternally thankful that you're not going to hell. And that Jesus rescued you and he made you like himself and it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. And, you know, I, I know H will remember this, and Danny way in the back, he'll remember this, because this was years back in the day, and Danny, when we're, you know, I'm talking now, what, 50 years ago. And there was all this gossip in town. Oh, there's always gossip about our church, you know, about this. I mean, there was some nasty stuff, too, they said. But, you know, I never, I never dwelled any of it. But I, the guy doesn't come to our church anymore, so don't look around. He came one day, he said, Pastor, so-and-so is saying this about you. And he gave me a name, I don't even remember. I, to the day, I don't remember the name, I... I Forgot the name right after he said it, actually. And I said, who said it? And they gave me some random name, some, somebody from Heavenville that I didn't know. Of. And they're saying this, and they're saying that, and they're going on, and, and, and I'm, and and I'm finishing. And you need, to, you need to address it. I'm like, I said, I'm not going to address that. I said, and he said, why? I mean, just, they're talking about, about the church, and he kept going on and on and on. I'm like, well, here's the thing. I'm famous, and he's not. Because apparently he knows me, so that makes me famous. You see, I'm not, being, I'm not being arrogant. I'm just saying, I don't know who that person is. You see, even though I still have areas to work in this point, trust me, I do still have areas. Because if you're not careful, you continue to, to identify with negativity, identify with strife, identify with world things. So this is an ongoing project. But the more you identify with who God made you, the easier your life becomes. Because he made you to be you. And that resolves about 90% of issues because once you are good with who you are, then you don't really have to worry about the neighbor. That's them, you know, let them worry about themselves, right? Or the church position or things, you know, oh, because, you know, they don't recognize me in this. I mean, no, you just be comfortable with who you are because you, you are unique. And I think once you're comfortable with who you are, you drop your eyesight from all this other stuff. People say something about you like, you, just, you, you know, in a good way, you feel sorry for them. You know, this person that, and, and, and they went on a lot of times. That wasn't the only thing they said. They, oh, my God, they said, okay. They, remember, they said, I, I was running drugs and you were laundering it. <laughs> One of many. I, now that I kicked that button on, I'm going through, wow, they, just, they said some funky stuff, you know. <laughs> They said Lizette was my daughter, and that it was my love child with her mom. I'm like, she's like five years younger than me. I, I, should have, I must have been really, really young, you know? I mean, crazy, way off the wall, you know, that we, were, that we had an ATM machine in here, and, you know, that we would charge people. And after that, that's not a bad idea. Make people get to cash a lot easier, right? 
Just crazy stuff. Or that we would lock the doors when people came in and we would charge people to come in. It was just on and on. Oh, yeah, the illegals. The one I, the one I had, the, the best one was I had an airplane. And I didn't even know I had an airplane, John. This guy was from Zapata. I'm not from Zapata. I, well, maybe not. He was from, I guess, Fowl. He was an appraisal. And he, and he was checking my, um, they, were, they were appraising my house. And I could see he had like a frown, Joe. He, he was like, going through the house because we're selling the house and he was appraising him. And he, and he was like, really, I didn't know the guy. I, 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 could, I know his last name now, but I'm not going to say it because I'm here to protect the guilty. And he just had like this whole bad attitude, you know, through the whole thing and <laughs> grumpy. You know, I mean, I'll give it to him. He was an older man and, you know, when we get older, we get grumpier. But at the end of this conversation, he finally had to let go of what was stuck in his crawl. He says, uh, so where do you park your airplane? I'm like, What? Yeah, your airplane. You're Pastor Box, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm Pastor Box. So do you keep it here at the airport? I almost wanted to say yes. I said, yeah, we just had some trouble with the, you know, the secondary jet engine, so we haven't taken it out. I'm like, sir, I don't have an airplane. It looked like his eyes got about that. He said, what? He said, I, I mean, this is really cute, but no. We're, we're so far from owning an airplane, you know. <laughs> it's not even close. But somehow, all the cheesemes got bundled up to all the way to Fowl that the pastor box of Heavenville owned an airplane. And I'm thinking, well, if that's your confession, I'm in agreement with Sir, but I don't own one yet. I mean, that's the kind of stuff. My point is, when you're comfortable with who you are, that stuff doesn't bother you. When you're not comfortable with who you are, it eats you up. So first and foremost... You are made in the likeness and image of Christ. You settle that right now. You settle that this moment. Because, there, you know, and I'm telling you, the devil comes immediately to steal the word. So I wouldn't be surprised if this week you get all kinds of little comments about you. And did you hear what they said? And you're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, that, that, that's the past. You remember the message? Because now it's what's kicking in. That sensual spirit's kicking in. Yeah. Right? He's trying, to, he's trying to wiggle himself into your head and figure out a way to get you to react. So number one, identity crisis. Um, identity crisis fuels conflict. Number two, and I put two and three together because they kind of go together, but number two is recognize it for what it is and what it affects. Before, when, when you begin to see it, the tension, the conversation, even within your kids, even if they're little kids. Come on, parents, you've done this before. You know, parents are experts, especially moms are good at this. If, it's more, if you have one, more than one kid and the kids are starting to get worked up about something, moms, you know, have a, have a way, have a, you know, an insight where they're like, oh, you know, maybe if I just pull this kid and give him a toy over here and take this kid to help me take the trash out or something. You know what I'm saying? And they diffuse that. That when mom gets in conflict, I know what I see. Come on, moms. I don't know why this message is so hard to preach this morning. Are you guys just like taking it in or y'all don't want to hear it? Or, because it's easy to recognize it in your kids. And you don't want the conflict. Come on, mom, say man. You know what I'm talking about. But when somebody pokes at you, you, don't, you can't apply the same techniques that you applied on your kids on, guess what, on your own self. Because the very first thing you got to diffuse is your reaction. And the way you, react, you, you diffuse the reaction is by recognizing it. 
And you have to recognize that little devil. You have to, especially if when you're standing, listen to me, church. I don't know how to make this point clear, but if you are in a position in your life where you are standing for a miracle, you are standing for a breakthrough, you are standing for God to show up. This is beyond faith, way. This is beyond, you have, you saw it in the word, you're making a stand. This is when this stuff really gets critical. Because the devil is after your attention. And he'll do all, you know, you'll get a bill in the mail. You'll get somebody charged you more. Everything can be handled without strife. Amen. You can, you know, you can call, somebody overcharge you. Instead of getting all, you know, worked up over it, you make a decision. I'm settled down right now before I even pick up the phone. And then you have a, and you know what you're going to find out? That when you are calm and you are, let me put it this way, and you are in Jesus, those things seem to work out. But if you pick up your phone and say, I need to talk to the manager. You know there's about 500 other people on the line that they're like, oh, it's that, that one Karen is on, right? <laughs> oh, yes, sir, let me transfer you. You know what they'll do? They'll transfer you through 500 people. That, they're just playing with you. They're like, really, you sent her to me? Yeah, you get it. That's what's going on. They don't want to mess with you, and you're not going to talk to their supervisor. And they probably have somebody else that's faking as a supervisor. That's how this works, people. They, they don't put, you know how many thousands of calls they get of stupid people every day? and people that are mad and people that are yelling, guess what happens when they get a call from somebody that is treating them like humans? What, what happens when they get a call that somebody's treating them with common sense or compassion? You know what? They'll move you up that line. Because you're the rare one that's not screaming their head off at a person that's only doing their job. Say Amen. You know, all that works together. So you have to recognize this thing coming up, even when things aren't going your way. They overcharge you or something happened, or you've got to make a phone call that you don't want to make. Instead of going all full, you know, like they say now, they full caring on them, you stop, you meditate. That's what the Bible says, right? You meditate. There are times that I have like this thing, and I'm, I'm just going to make a phone call right now. And, and sometimes, you know, again, like I say, I'm on the same journey with you guys. I don't have this 100% down. I still have an issue with drivers. Help me, Jesus. Especially Laredo, Laredo, man, you can develop the whole fruit of the Spirit just getting to church. You know, but you see it, and then you're like, no, I I see you, devil. We're not going there. And you you enter into that thing with calmness. You enter into that thing with WWJD. Remember that? What would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle this? And you've recognized it. That is the big one. Once you recognize strife, once you recognize things that are going to end up in a bad place, you got, the, you got the devil, you know, by the hair now. Because that's his biggest weapon, is that sensual approach. That's the one that, because, you, you know, you're, I'm telling you, you can get, you could be all spiritual. You could be spending time in the Word. And you think that, I mean, that's sometimes, the, when, you're, when you're being the most spiritual, sometimes when you're the most vulnerable. For, for these kind of attacks, because you're like, oh, I'm into God, I'm into God, this can't happen to me, and the devil just, that little sensual devil. So the key is, you've got to recognize it, every evil. Get that little word in your head this morning, every evil. This is not one evil, oh, pastor, can't be that, no. And how, so what am I going to do, I'm never going to have a fight, no, no, I'm not talking about fight. There is conflict resolution without anger. It is biblical to have conflict, and it's also biblical to have resolution without having to get a divorce. 
or anybody leaving the house, or all these kind of crazy stuff. There's, there's, it has to be a place in, in Christian maturity, and I'll, I'll say not Christian maturity, I wish our nation had this maturity. You know, I see all this mess in this nation, and it's not that if I'm right, left, or wing, or right wing, or left wing, I'm just thinking, there has to be a place where people have got to be able to sit down at the table. Amen? You know, we can agree to disagree, but there's a, there's a place that we have to find common ground somewhere. So that brings me to the next point, you know, you have to own it. And that is a big one for Christians because we don't want to own this. You have to own your part. And I, I wrote it this way because I'm thinking a lot of us live in the movie. So I put own your part in the current or potential drama production that you have going on right now. Anybody? No, don't raise your hand. Anybody working on a drama movie right now in your house? Okay, what is your part? What is your part? What part do you have to play in this situation? Because that's the only one you can control. You can't control everybody else's part. But you can control your part. But guess what? If you control your part, it controls everybody else's part. Because the way you handle it is going to be the reactive aspect of how they approach it. So number two and three kind of go together. You recognize what it's for. And then once you recognize it, you own your part. I can either make a big stink out of it, or I can pray it through, or I'll wait till I get godly wisdom. That's the big one on how to handle the situation. Because everyone in this room, everyone watching me online, everyone listening to this podcast in the, in the future, listen to me, you will have conflict. You will have conflict. There's no, well, pray for me, pastor, so I don't have conflict. I cannot pray for you to die. Because that's the only place you're not going to have conflict is in heaven. Jesus, remember Jesus? Yeshua? In this world, you will have, and I'll just, I'll just paraphrase it loosely, confrontation. In this, in this life, you will have tribulation. In this life, you are going to go through unpleasant things. In this life, you're going to go through seasons that you would prefer not to go through. But, the little big word, right? But, don't fear. Jesus speaking, I have overcome the world. And that is what this teaching is about. How do you overcome conflict? How do you overcome strife? Well, I'm giving you, you know, number one, your identity, number two, recognize it. Number three, own it. Stop blaming everybody and their mother for your problems. Amen, pastor. I know. I'm, you guys aren't going to say amen for nothing this morning. That's fine. I brought a whole bag of them right there. <laughs> and when I run out of those, I'll pull out my hallelujahs. And then when I run out of those, Danny, I'll pray out the praise hallelujahs. Remember that? Terry Mize taught me that one. He says, when you want to say praise God and hallelujah, just say praise hallelujah. Saves time. No, think about what I'm teaching you. Think about what would your life be like if this one item was controlled completely in your house where people could actually sit down and have a conversation. Yes, we're going to have different points of view. This is not about everybody thinking the way you think, but there has to be a place where you can sit down. Galatians 6.5 says, for each will have his own load. Each. We all, have a, we all have a part in this, and we all have to spend time with God you and God, not you and your husband and God, not you and your kids and God, you and God to say, Lord, show me my part. Show me when do I keep my mouth shut. Show me when I'm the one causing the strife. Show me when I'm the one that's bringing the drama. Amen? Because, you know, drama did not just show up in your life. It came. Somebody brought it. Somebody close to you brought it, or you brought it. So there it is. 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of 
one may receive what is due, pay attention now, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. <laughs> well, that, that one should get your attention. You know, we're all going to see Jesus, and we're all going to see God, but he's going to spend some time, he's going to spend more time with some people. Because every vain word, I mean, according to what Jesus taught, right? They're going to go through, like, oh yeah, come into heaven. Yeah, hang on, come into heaven. Just We're going to show you one last video, and then you can come in. Or we're going to show you one last video, and yeah, you didn't make the cut, sorry. And all your words are going to come up? All your actions are going to come up? All the good things you did, all the bad things you did, and then it's going to be closed, and you'll live in eternity with no ever being reminded of that. The thing is, we want to live in the right kind of eternity. And that's going to be wonderful, but what about here? How, how many years have we lost? How much love have we lost? How much time have we lost in conflict? Because drama, as you know it in your house, is not just something that takes 15 minutes away. There's, there's things that have happened in people's lives that take 15 years away. My grandfather and his brother, they're the ones that live down here, then that other family, everyone's gone to the Lord now. They got into it, Freddie, over Ford or Chevy. That's a true story in my house. The boxes, almost necios, necios, necios. And they didn't talk to each other for a year and a half. It started as a conversation because one owned a Ford and one owned a Chevy. And before it was that, it got heated so bad. Two brothers. They didn't talk to each other. Not only that, they were neighbors on the ranch, with ranch fans. And you know, you got to get along with your neighbors, right? I mean, for a year and a half, my dad used to tell me, he said, you, you don't believe, you know how the boxes are. He would tell me these stories. I'm like, what? He said, they were having lunch over something, and somebody says, you know, something about a Ford, and the other one says, well, yeah, but Chevy, and then the other one says, well, yeah, but Ford, and the other one says, yeah, but Chevy, and then it was, yeah, but Ford, and then they all said, yeah, but Chevy, and before you know it, they're all mad at each other. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's how stupid this thing is. And every one of you has a version of that. That when you look back to what that big thing that hit your house was, and, you, and, and sometimes you can't even remember what started the fight. You're over, somebody's already calling the lawyer and filing papers, and you're like, what? Oh, yeah, it was because I didn't pick up my underwear. <laughs> oh, yeah, I never had that one. Like, pick up your underwear. You pick it up. Well, here we go. No, you shouldn't have said that. We all are going to appear before judgment seat of Christ so that each of one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I don't know, the older I get, that scripture becomes more important. Because <laughs> there's really one thing I'm looking for in heaven, just one thing, with just, one, just a couple words from Jesus. I don't, I don't talk about, I don't care how many crowns I have, I, that, the, the, you know, what size, man, none of that. It's well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I want to hear. I don't want to hear, well, what did you done? <laughs> what did you done? <laughs> Give me the next one, Archie. Let's go. <laughs> Number four, very simple one. Very simple one. So simple, you hope you don't miss it. Avoid it. You don't have to jump into everybody's drama. Even if you've got an invitation with your name on it. Because that's what people look for, right? When you have a cause, you want support for your cause. Your cause could be wrong, your cause could be right, but you're looking for support. And people are looking for support. So you avoid it. If it has nothing to do with you, this is so deep, guys. You need, you need to pray in tongues to get this revelation. 
I'm just being horribly sarcastic this morning. <laughs> if it has nothing to do with you, read it. Everybody read it together. Well, look at somebody and tell them that. Mind your own business. Proverbs 26, 17 says, He that passeth by and meddleth with strife, belonging not to him. So this has been going on for a few thousand years. I, I think I read this one a couple weeks ago, right? When we, when, when we introduced the series. Is like that one that takes a dog by the ears. And he's not talking about some little fluffy German shepherd. He's probably talking about like a Rottweiler or something like that. You know, if that dog is barking, probably the last thing you want to do is stick your hand in that fence. I just want to pet him, Pastor. I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, like, it's like Babas, and he's growling, and he doesn't look very friendly. Now, I just, I, just, I just want to pet him. That's what you're doing with other people's, you know, other people get in conflict. And the thing is, you know, Mexicans, yes, we're obsessed with, you know, we can't stand our family until somebody messes with them. I'm talking to Mexicans now. All white people, you're off the hook. No, just kidding. You can't stand your family. But if somebody goes messes with your family, you don't even talk to that family member, but oh no, they mess with my family. If it's not your fight, avoid it. And if you have to jump yourself into it, you know what you go, jump in yourself into it? As a peacemaker. That would be the only way that God would approve you getting involved in somebody else's business. That you're there to help, you're there to fix, you're there to restore. Unless you're coming with that, pray for them. I'm serious. Pray for them as much as you desire. Because, you know, a lot of people's life, I remember you said something, H stayed with me for years. You said this years ago, an H golden pebble. <laughs> we were referring to the situation that somebody was in. And he says, well, their life is their own punishment. I remember telling you that. It's like, why do you even tell them anything else? The, the life they're living is punishment enough. They don't need you to remind them what a horrible life they have. Or they don't need you to remind them to support how bad their life is or to come against it. No, you just. Pray for these people. Leave them alone because anybody that's in strife, you don't want to go to that pool. You don't want to jump in there. The only way you can help somebody that's drowning is not by jumping in there with them. It's by throwing a lifeline. And, and strife is like that. These people are drowning in conflict and drama and strife and all these things. And then you, and then you jump in thinking you're going to add to, you know, do something better. Now you're in the mix. Now your family's dragged in there. Come on. Somebody say, man, you've been there. Stuff like that. I was trying to think what happened to me the other day. Oh, yeah, with one of my clients. That's what it was. It wasn't a lot of drama, but it was like, it's a long story. But it had to do with, they wanted to get rid of some donkeys. That, that's the kind of stuff I got to deal with. You know? I tell Monica, that our, our life is like the twilight zone. I have some weird dynamics age. So they have all these, you know, donkeys they don't want, like 30 of them. So it went on and on, and I, and I, I was just kind of hooking up. Like, so I called somebody that would knew somebody that would buy donkeys, and they met somebody. And before you know it, you know, the, the deal didn't go through. I had no dog in the fight. I wasn't making a penny off of this. I was just like, oh, yeah, call this guy, call that guy, y'all get together. It became like this big thing because, you know, the guy didn't want to just take seven. He wanted to take all 30, and he wasn't going to come down for seven. And, 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 then, and then the guy that contacted me was almost like yelling, texting. Have you, you know when somebody yells in a text, right? And it's not all caps. You know they're yelling. Just the tone of the text. And I'm, I'm looking at this text, I'm like, why am I in the middle of this? And, but, you know, I called him. I not, not called him out. I called him. I said, hey, I need to clear up the air with you. 
I have no dog in this fight. And then he, and he backtracks and says, you know, I apologize. I, I, see, I see where you're coming from. I just gave you that guy's number with that guy, and you guys figured it out. And now they were like ragging on me because the deal felt, didn't work out. And I'm like, in other words, in other words, saying, you know, if this doesn't work, I don't want you to. I basically told him I'm not going to work for you anymore. You know, you just look for somebody else. And in the business that I do with these ranches, it's hard to find somebody that won't rob you blind when you let them go into the ranch and check your feeders and all that kind of stuff. So I guess they, you know, they kind of figured it out, and it was all cool, but I was like right smack of the middle of this drama pie, and I had, I'm like, wow, how did that happen? Anybody been like that? How did I get myself in this position? Because I'll be honest with you, I didn't really have any, there was no strife on my end, but when I recognized it, I did the, the most important thing was I stepped out. I got out of that pool, and I called him in a very nice way. I said, this is what's going on. I had nothing to do with it. And then he said, yeah, no, I understand, and, and that was it, and we're so good, we're all friends. But you have to not meddle with other people's business. Proverbs 23, avoiding strife brings a man honor, but here it is. Nobody wants to be called a fool. And if you want to know what a fool is, the Bible is pretty clear what a fool is. There's a whole teaching. If you want to do it someday, you know, just word search fool, you'll find out what a fool is. A fool is somebody that is quarrelsome. Somebody that, that tends to just go to fight, 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 argue, 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 divisive, divisive, divisive. Something else instead of yes, um, last Sunday was so good. I don't remember if he said it here or he said it in Laredo, but he said something to the idea. He says, where division is, the Holy Spirit is not. And I thought, that is so good. Any, any form of division, you, you know, God steps off. And it all becomes earthly, sensual, and devilish. And that's another thing you can recognize. Is this, is, is this thing in my life, if what I'm going to say, is it going to build somebody or is it going to divide somebody? And we all have opinions, trust me, we all have, you know, you want to hear my opinions, I'll wait for you in the parking lot, because I have a lot of them. But I don't want to use a holy desk to give you just opinions. But, you know, opinions, you know, my pastor told me, he says, you know, an opinion is like, you know, with, with, with an opinion and $40, you can get a full tank of gas. Yeah, you, you can get a full tank of gas with 40 Well, not anymore, it depends what you drive. You want to say opinions don't mean nothing. The only thing that matters in any situation is God's word. That's all that matters. Because that is the one thing that's been proven through eons that it's the truth. 1 Peter 4.15 says, If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble. (laughs) Every time I read this, I think of so many people that we know. (laughs) And prying into other people's affairs. Let's break it down. 1 Peter, if you suffer... In other words, he says, you know, you might be suffering in life. Just make sure it's not self-inflicted. Again, Christians are funny people. We just want to blame God or blame the devil or blame La Suegra or blame the neighbor or blame the government, blame somebody. But he's telling you, if you suffer, okay, you're going to go through some suffering. We get that. We already settled that. We're going to go through things that are not fun. We're going to go through seasons that are not fun. But make sure it's not for murder. Some of you, oh, pastor, no, I would never kill anybody. You do it all day with your tongue. <laughs> character? Murdering with your character? Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, you know we're not just talking about killing physically. You know, with your tongue, you tear people down. Stealing? All right, we got those down. We're Christians. We don't murder or steal. How about making trouble? Oh, we could spend a lot of time there, right? How about making trouble? How about prying? into other people's affairs. In other words, what Peter was telling you, he says, you know, you, you got enough suffering already in front of you, don't go buy anymore. 
And we're going to get, you know, don't, don't feel bad. You know, we're going to, we get through the storms of life. We've all gone through storms of life. But if when a storm hits me, I want to make sure it was completely auto-generated by Satan. That I had nothing to do with that storm. Are you still here? Because that's the very first thing. When something hits my house, because I've learned this over the years, when something is not, you know, in, it's in the area of the finances, in the area of health, in whatever area of our life that, that I can see, like, you know, it's almost like a, a wheel that's off balance. You know, it's not major catastrophe, it's not major crisis, but, you know, the whole rhythm at the house is off. I don't go and, oh, God, how come the devil? The first thing I do, I stop, and this, I do it every time, and I'll do inventory in my life. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe, yeah, no, 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 no. Did I get mad? No, did I get angry? Did I say something? Did I talk bad to my wife? Did I, you know, I'm going through my inventory because I'm thinking, if there's a door open, I want to make sure it's closed. And if I see a door open, you don't have to dwell on it. You repent. You say, Lord, I see it. I shouldn't have said that. I should have not acted that way. I repent. Thank you, Jesus. Now that door is closed. Keep going. And once I'm, once I'm settled that every door is closed, then I can look at the attack and say, okay, devil, you mess with the wrong bunch. You mess with the wrong bunch. And I pull out the word, and we get it, and we get after it, and we fix it. And there hasn't been a battle yet. Now, we're in battles, as, even as I speak, we're in battles. But we, there hasn't been a battle yet that God hasn't won for us in all these 30 years. Are you still here? All right, let me wrap this up. Don't, go back to real, four real quick, let me just put one thing out of it. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying to people's affairs. So, number four, what is the church? Avoid it. Recognize it for what it's for, and once you can smell that little strife devil, you do whatever your part is to avoid it. Now give me the next one. You need to close it. Number five, this is a big one. Don't recruit a gang. When you have been offended, and yes, there might be a real offense. I'm not saying it's all fake. Somebody could have come against you and your family in a very real way. But the very first thing you want to do is don't, start, don't recruit a gang. You know what I'm talking about, because that's what we do. Our tendency is, let me get some support. That's, that's just human nature. Let me get some support. So now you call your suegro, and you call your suegro, and your tío, and your tía, and your brother, and your sister, and compadre, comadre. Before you know it, you got 40 people that were perfectly fine till you called them. And now they're all contaminated with your strife, and they're all hating on the same person that you're hating on, because of course you called them to tell them what they did to you. Say amen. And that is not healthy at any level, because what are you doing? Just like a fire. You're putting wood. By bringing more people, you're just piling wood on that fire. And gasoline and diesel and everything else will burn. No, you, 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 you face conflict... You know, I guess, you know, if you're married and, and your spouse is a Christian, then that should be the, you're not recruiting. You should get with your spouse and say, okay, look, these people have come against us. Let's pray over them. Let's pray for them. And that is hard because you don't want to do that. But you don't recruit a gang. Jesus said it this way. If your brother sins, go and point out their fault. What does it say? Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And you have to understand this. That's not scripture. That's just my comment. It is never your job to punish anybody. That is not your job. So if you have conflict or you face a situation, then, of course, it's going to be with another person. Then you resolve with that person. And if it's something that can't be talked about, then you let it go. If it's something greater than that, then it's your, it's, this is your call. This is not a, a spiritual call. 
It's up to you if you pursue it legally or not legally. That's something that you would have to resolve. But I'm saying you don't go and bring a whole bunch of people because what's happening, it's like, it's like a cancer that's going to spread or like a fire that's going to spread. The more people you bring into your little drama party, more people are going to be contaminated, more people are going to get involved, and when there was a problem just between you and one person, now there's a problem between 20 and 20 people. That's, and you guys know how it is. I mean, come on, we live in Heavenville. You guys live in, I don't live in Heavenville. You live in Heavenville. But these little towns especially are notorious for this kind of stuff. Why? Because everybody knows everybody. You mess with one person, everybody, everyone wants to jump in on the, you know, and that is not what a Christian does. That's what they do. That's what the system does. That's what the world does. That's what the earthly reaction is. God is giving you a higher standard. Jesus is giving you a higher standard. He says, don't do that. If you have a problem with somebody, you resolve it just between the two of you. Amen? I got time for one more, RJ. Let's go. And the big one is, this is just Satan's, you have to understand Satan's attack. He's, he's not that smart, and he's not that strategic in his attack. His attacks are all through the Bible, and they're always the same. Divide and conquer. Drama will always magnify our differences. So we need to make a conscious effort to recognize that our common ground is much more important than where we differ. And this little next line was an aha moment that I had about four weeks ago. And it was really, it's really you know, you guys... I don't know what your perspective is of what Pastor Box looks for messages and studies. And, you, you know, I have like the little, you, you, if you can imagine it, you probably think I have like this office. And I do have an office in my house, and, but it's always a mess. I don't like to go in there. But, um, no, I'll be driving down the highway. That's usually the most spiritual things. I'm like, eh, and I'll have a thought. Most of the time I'm going to work or coming to work. And I'll write it down or I'll make a note or I'll voice record it. And I'll have another thought. And I was thinking about, this is how this one happened. I was thinking about... A certain guitar, well, not, he's not a guitar player, he's actually a bass player, but he's a very good musician, very talented, I'm not going to say his name, uh, an uh, amazing mind, uh, a lyricist, and, and he, you know, he's not a Christian artist. Back in, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, they were huge. Um, but he, I didn't like his politics. I mean, he's very, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking like, and I said to myself, oh, I don't like, I don't, I don't like him. I was just having, you know, y'all ever talk to yourself, anybody? Just, just, some of you are looking like, hmm, pastor needs help, I think. No, I talk to myself all the time. Sometimes I get mad at myself, and I don't even talk to myself. We're not talking to each other. But um, I was thinking about, and I said this. I said, huh, I, don't, I, I can't stand him. And then the Lord spoke to me. He said, what don't you like about him? No, it was like this. So, so, so I says, how come you don't like him? And I mean, he's as far from God as we could probably think of right now. You know, I mean, he's not a Satanist. He's just, you know, one of those. And then I, I saw it. We say this. Oh, I don't like that person. Anybody say that? Raise your hand. Come on, everybody said it. Why don't you like them? Is it their opinions? Is it their position? Their ideology? Yeah, they could be off on all of them. But I've discovered there are some people that we are completely opposed on everything you can imagine, from politics to, to spirituality. But as a person, they're not bad people. You ever miss that? I mean, their politics are off, and they're off on the deep end. And, but as a person, they're, they're just people like you and me, and they're raising their family, and their kids love them, and their husband loves them, you know, and they're just people. Now, they have a position that I believe is wrong, but that doesn't make them my enemy. Are you still with me? Because that's another problem this country has. We're Republicans! Okay, we're Democrats. And there's nothing that we can talk about? 
now that you've decided that you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, that means we are done? No. We disagree on a lot of things, but there has to be common ground. And I think as a believer, that, that doesn't mean you're, you're approving of sin or you're approving of, of what the world is doing. It just simply means be careful. Stop saying, I don't like this or that person. What we don't like is their opinion, their politics, or their position, or even their ignorance. But we need to stop saying, I don't like that person, because just that one idea instantly puts that person as a target for drama coming from you. So there are so there's things that we educate. Do I, do I really don't like that person, or, do, or is it I don't like their ideas? Because you're going to find out there's a lot of people that you've chosen to dislike that you don't know anything about them. You don't know anything about them. You don't know anything about how they carry themselves. You don't know anything about their, you know, if, how they love their family or how they take care of their family. Things that really matter. They just got skewed ideas. And I've met people like that, and it's weird because at first I was like, eh. And then I got to know them. There's a guy I haven't talked to him for a while um, up in New York, and there for a while I used to, to kind of, I don't know what happened to him. He used to troll me. He doesn't troll me anymore. I feel lonely. But I would post anything, and he would respond. And I know him. He's, he's a great musician, wonderful musician. But we're so far apart, you know, he's a big BLM guy and all this stuff. And, and we would get into these debates, and then, and then we got into these healthy debates, and sometimes they were not healthy debates. And then once I told him, I said, you know what, before we continue arguing, why don't we get to know each other? And then we, I wrote him in Messenger, not on Facebook, where everybody could see it. I said, let's talk about something else. Let's find common ground. Why? You're a musician, I'm a musician. What bands do you like? Let's talk about that. And it was such a weird thing, because out of that change of dynamic, the whole conversation changed. Yeah, he still has his opinions. I still have mine, but guess what? When I go to New York, I'm supposed to go have lunch with him because we found common ground. I don't agree with you. you don't, he doesn't agree with me. But guess what? We both like music, and we both like some of the same people that we like, you know, and he's, he's you know, way, way more into jazz and all that kind of stuff, but and a very talented musician, you know, plays up in New York all the time. And, but, you know, you found common ground, and it was amazing to see that everything was political, political, and this and this and that and all this, and then we found common ground. And then it just stopped. I don't know if he just got bored with me or what. But, you know, <laughs> you know, I, you know, we didn't stop being friends. It's just we don't get into these debates anymore. So my point on this one is, you know, remember, divide and conquer is Satan's technique. And the scripture, I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures, is Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and we'll finish with these two scriptures. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some have the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And that's really, you know, the author of, of Hebrews is telling us, you know, one of the things that we should be doing is not trying to cause more conflict between each other or more division or, more, or being more divisive. What we should be doing is finding areas where we're not divided. Amen. And I'm telling you, you know, go back home this week with some of these things that you're learning and look at some of the things that go on in your house. Maybe little things. Maybe it's not big drama, but nonetheless it's drama. Maybe even among the kids. If you have more than one kid, you're going to have drama. Say Amen. If you have one kid, you're going to have drama. Then it just multiplies from there. But, you know, as a parent, you're like, hey, guys, let's find common ground. What's the problem? You know, little things, and then teach your kids this. I teach them since they were little. You know, I don't know, you know if it's stuck or not, but even with my grandson, I'm, I'm big on this one. I'm like, this is the one, dude. This is the one you want to avoid. Because this is the one where every devil works. Amen? And then we'll finish with... Mark 3, 24, 25, it's kind of missing a little last word, but it simply says, no kingdom. If you change the word kingdom to your house, your job, your business, your relationships, just, just 
Take the word kingdom out, put whatever word you want to that has to do with your social life. No kingdom can endure it. If it's divided against itself, a fragmented household will not be able to stand for it is divided. The one thing Satan wants is to break your house into pieces. And it's your job as a mom, a dad, grandpa, grandma, whatever your position in that house is, it's your job. Not, well, it's your understanding, so my wife, no, you know, your wife might be a mess, it's your job. Well, you don't understand, my husband's not even a Christian, okay, get that? It's your job. Quit pointing fingers. You do your part to, to identify this spirit and stop drowning in shallow things. Amen? You get something out of all that this morning? Go ahead and stand to your feet. And as you do, why don't you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thank you, Father, for the word. We thank you, Lord, for what we've learned by your heads. And Father, as we close this service this morning, I thank you for all the people here and all the people watching us online. And I want to pray this prayer because this is what we preached. If you're here this morning and, and, and there's something that has resonated with you, if you're watching me online, it has resonated inside you. say, so, you know, what you, what you preach, Pastor, is what's going on in my house. And it's been going on for years, and it's going on in my business, and it's going on in just around me. Well, if that's you this morning, I'm going to pray right now for you. That all this stuff begins to stop. And number one, just simply, that God will show you your part. If that's you, you know, or not you, but if that's something that you could, would like to receive, just lift one hand up to heaven. That's just a point of contact for us. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for where the word has taken us. And Lord, you know, I've been learning this for almost 30 years, practicing, and I'm still not there, Lord. So I receive it first and foremost in my life. I don't want to continue to be the troublemaker, the sower of divisive ideas or divisive things, Father. I want to just be a peacemaker like you've called us to be. And I believe, Father, that right now marriages are being healed, families are being healed, relationship between parents and and children are being healed. Father, there's people that are listening to me, maybe in this room or online. I just feel in my spirit right now. There are people in your life that you haven't talked to for a long time and it was over some really stupid stuff and the Lord's telling me right now you need to fix it this week and that God will prepare that person for this thing to be fixed. So you need to just go by faith and do that. You need to call that person. You need to reach out to that person. If necessary, you need to apologize to that person, even if it wasn't your fault because the, the price of being a peacemaker is so, so awesome. Or not the price, the benefits of being a peacemaker is so awesome that it is worth you to humble yourself and take the first step to repair anything that's broken. Now, that's a word for somebody. It might be for more than one person. It might be for somebody online. I got my eyes closed. I'm not looking around. But I receive it. And I'm going to do some soul searching. Because I'm telling you, the blessing, the magnificent blessing, walks in this area of peace. So, Father, right now, as people are standing with their hands up and their eyes closed, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, release that anointing on us, among us, and through us, that we are peacemakers, and that strife and conflict and divisive attitudes, even, Father, the way we look at the the politics and the way we look at everything, help us see things even from a different angle, God. And I just thank you, Lord, because of this, we are bigger and better in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated there for a moment. Did you get something out of all that? Y'all stay out too late last night? Or what? You guys super quiet this morning. Last week you were with Elsa and you were like, yeah, amen. With me you're like, uh-huh. Are we done yet? I'll tell you one thing, man. If you get a hold of some of this stuff, you, you will see such a huge difference in the presence of God on your life on this one point. One point. It just, you know, and besides, you get to sleep good at night. 
When you don't have a fight with anybody in the world? Well, you don't understand, Pastor, a lot of people don't like me. That's their problem. I was explaining to, I guess it was Kate, and I said, this is, like, this is like a tennis game. When you forgive and you release people, that doesn't mean you have to go hang out with them. You just hit that ball in their court. That ball's in their court. You don't worry about how that person responds. You, you know, you might go out there this week and say, you know what, that word was for me, and you'll call that person up and say, I just want to let you know that, you know, I want to fix things. That person might cuss you out. I don't want you to ever call me. And you're like, well, that went over real good. The pastor said, I never told you that person was going to respond properly. I just said, you know what you're supposed to do. Because what have you done? You hit that ball in their court. Now it's up to them to fix. It's up to them to resolve. You have set your plate. Your, your position is, now the blessing can come on my life. That's what's important. You get that blessing. In the times that we're living, church, you cannot afford not to have this blessing on your life. Amen? All right, well, let's um, prepare our offering this morning. And as you do so, I just want to read one real quick thing out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But um, if you need an envelope for your giving, if you can raise your hand. And we've, we've gone back to bringing our offerings, like the, the Bible says, bring your offerings to the Lord. So um, if you need an envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand. The ushers will minister. If you want to give online, the information's on the screen. And we thank you guys all for your support. I also want to give you a, a quick update. Um, the money that was raised from the fireworks stand and was a real blessing, but the, the teams that raised that, you know, obviously it was the youth team had it for a while, then the ladies' ministry also took it between both of them. They, they wanted all that money to go to Cuba. Get this. So after we, you know, took the tithe out and so forth, Cuba is going to get over $3,000 just out of the fireworks thing. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap for that. Amen. Um, I already sent um, part of it, and I'll send the other part Monday. It's just that I don't send all of it at once because it raises eyebrows. <laughs> Sometimes when you move a lot of money. So I, I called Yoel and, and let him know that, that part, you know, most of the money, I think we sent him 2000 already. Yeah, he already got 2000 Then Monday or Tuesday we'll send the difference. But, um, you know, thank you guys for doing that. All of those of you that were out there and put up with all that and, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, you guys must really love Jesus a whole lot, because I don't know if I could do that at this point in my life, to sit there all day and put up with people buying fireworks. But anyway, you, the cause was great. Thank you for doing it. And because of, of, because of what you're doing, there's people that this week will have food. You'll make their life a little bit better. <laughs> Amen? Because of your love. So I just wanted to share that testimony. That was such a good testimony. All right. Um, when we talk about finances, when we talk about sowing and and I got, a, I got a series building up in my spirit. I don't want to, I don't, I don't just say, oh, this next year is, but at some point in the year, maybe in the fall, I'm, we're going to zero in a little bit on, on what is biblical prosperity. I think a lot of people need to understand it. It's not just about, you know, yes, it includes a tithe. Yes, it includes offerings. It includes all these things. But it's, it's so much more. It really is about purpose. And when you begin to understand that your resources have a purpose, they do, right? I mean, come on. When you go to work and you get a paycheck, you just don't go to work because you're bored. You know, I mean, there might be that one person, right? Or you don't go to work because you can't stand your house and you just don't want to be in the house. There might be that one person. Most people go to work because they get paid. And when you get paid, you take that money and you start breaking it down. You pay the gas, you know, the light, the car, the house, you know, whatever. Vacations, whatever. And, it, and, and all the money, it has a purpose. You already have it. You, you go to work for a purpose. You go to work to get a check and now you got a purpose. Now you're paying your bills. Okay, with that in mind, watch this. Because in the eyes of God, your money has two representations. Number one, it should have a purpose. I don't think a believer should just haphazardly give. 
You know, when you tithe, there's purpose behind tithing. When you sow, there should be a purpose. You know, I'm just going to give money. Yeah, but what is the purpose in your heart and what is the purpose to where the money is going? So in, in Corinthians 9, I mean, chapter 8 and chapter 9, he, he spends a lot of time talking about this. But I want to just pull this one, one scripture out and, and it's going to help you. So, I was in Romans. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> that was funny. Um, verse, uh, where is it? Okay, verse 7. Second um, Corinthians 9, 7 says, Every man, he's talking about giving. He already, he already finished saying that, you know, the cheerful giver and all that. Um, Every man, according as he has purpose in his heart, so, well, no, so let him give. No, this is where he says, I'm sorry. Not grudgingly or out of necessity. Purpose. You know, when, and this is where, where people disconnect. I was joking with our Laredo church yesterday because I said, Christians, you know, you go out there and you spend hundreds of dollars on all kinds of stuff. You know, everything costs so much money. Nowadays, like, you know, you guys joke, you go fill up your tank, you're going to drop a, a lot of money. And things out there keep increasing. You know, we have uh, inflation, like we haven't had it in many, many years. And I'm noticing, I mean, even, you know, we've been working on these high fences and um, within two months, the, the, the price of the wire went up 35%. In two months, it went from 410 a roll to 495. I got to go buy some rolls tomorrow. I'm like, well, wait a minute, it was 410 just like a few weeks ago. So we're all dealing with this. But guess what? In the church, it's the same thing. Because we disconnect. We're like, oh, the church, you know, where I, where if, I drop, if I need to pay $100 worth of gas, but I'm going to give a $10 offering, thinking that things are cheaper here. They're not cheaper. Sometimes in the church world, actually, they're more expensive. You know, there's a few things that are more expensive in the church realm. But um, keep in context that we still navigate in that world. We still got, we got a greater light bill. Our light bill's going to go up because everything's going up. You know, there's more expenses. But when you have purpose behind it, you know, you, you don't, you don't you've, how can I say, you've passed that hurdle to say, well, you know, I can easily go put $80 worth of gas in my tank, but I struggle with giving the church $20. You see what I'm saying? Because the reason you're struggling is not that you're a bad person. The reason you're struggling is you don't see the purpose in the 20. That's why you don't have a problem with the 80 in the tank. Because you need gas. Amen. You know, you, you can be mad about the price, but you're going to still put the 80 bucks. You can fume and you can have your opinions. You're still going to, because you need that gas to get to work and do what you've got to do. But when you come to church, you're like, I'll just drop 20. No, it's the same thing. There's purpose here. And you have to understand, in the context of God... Your money, the second part of this, your money is, what he says here, is the key that God needs to use that you will have greater influence. That's all he's wanting to, you know, he, he doesn't, he's not trying to get you to give to make you broke or even keep you the same. He's trying to get you to give to, to raise your influence. Here it is. I mean, let me read all this. I, I just read it. It's already explained, so I don't have to stop anymore. It says, every man according as he purpose in his heart, let him give not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now go to verse 8. And means it's connected to the first thought. In other words, verse 8 doesn't happen unless verse 7 happened. Unless you gave with purpose, then you don't qualify for verse 8. This is not about the amount. Don't get hung up on the amount. This is not about if you give 5 cents or you give 5,000. This is about when you took your money and your resources and you said, you know what, this is my church, I love my church, I trust my church, they got all these campuses, they support Mexico, we know we support... There's purpose for my money. Right? Yeah, you got it? You're not just tipping God. You're not just like, oh, offering time. 
Real purpose givers, you know when they, when, when they settled their offering? Back home. Back home. They, they didn't say, oh, offering time. No, this already settled. They already prayed over it. They are, they, you know, some people even come with their envelope ready. I'm done. You don't have to talk about it. This is where I went. God is able. Everybody say, God is able. God is able. Say like you want to go home. God is able. <laughs> Duh, I don't think they're ready to go home, H. Do you think they're ready to go home? No. I think I'm going to preach another 30 minutes now. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Pay attention. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now there's purpose. So when you get with purpose, God is making sure you get more money so you can continue the good work you're doing. You know, it's just, and we could use examples. For example, Cuba. You know, Cuba, I went there to help Gabriel with a praise and worship conference. And now we're almost 10 years in, and I started doing the math over the 10 years, and without airplane tickets or hotels, that doesn't, that doesn't count, just money that we put into Cuba, we're pretty close to $100,000 in 10 years. Now you see it? I just went there to play guitar. But when you went with purpose, God made sure other things, and then, you know, in a weird rant, I didn't even know Dan Stratton back then. I mean, I knew of him, but we, didn't, we weren't friends or nothing. Then I meet Pastor Dan. Now they get involved with Cuban, and they were a big part of purchasing the farm. What I'm saying is that's the grace that God does. And when you have purpose in your giving, your money's going to go further. You're going to have better business opportunities because God says, okay, this person, I need them to prosper because this person will fuel the kingdom. Pay attention now. There are people in our church, I want to prophesy this over you, that their only calling in life is to pay for the gas of what Faithway does. And I mean gas in a... You know, not, not gasoline. Anything, the fuel. Anything that, you know, if we, if we got to go to Cuba, if we got to go to Ukraine, if we got to fix our youth center, if we got to do an evangelistic outreach, whatever it is, there are people that are, their only calling is to say, how much is it, Pastor? 20000 Got it. Don't even, don't even bring it up again. I got it. There's people that are called to do that. But you know where it starts? It doesn't start with a 20000 It starts with a $20 bill that has a purpose on it or a $10 bill, or a $5 bill, or even a $1 bill. God, could, God does not look at the amount. He looks at what is behind that. And if that purpose is to fuel the kingdom, God, you gave a dollar this week, God, make sure you have $2 next week. And, and that's how it grows. And I could share my own personal stories, which I'm not. So again, thank you guys for all your support. Thank you for all you do. And I'm telling you, the, you know, sometimes you might not know it, but two churches that stay open because this church is doing what they're doing. You know, Laredo's come a long way. Most of the time, we don't have to help Laredo, but like last month, they got stuck. We had to put a little money towards their rent. Mexico, we're sending about four or $500 a month to pay for their rent. So there are two churches that could have church today, and they're growing. You know, Laredo used to be 100%. You know, we'd have to pay for all of it now, and now it's like a tiny bit because the church is growing, money is coming in, and so forth and so on. But, you know, you guys are blessing beyond heaven. Bro. You're blessing nations. You're blessing other churches. So, again, thank you so much. Amen? All right, let's get out of here because I've got to run straight to Laredo now. So, Father, go ahead and stand. Father, we thank you for the complete day. We bless this offering as we are dismissed from this building. And, again, Lord, I believe with all my heart that every seed that is being given from our online church, in-house church, partners around different places, Father, I call that seed blessed. And I believe, Lord, that's Scripture. Their seed had purpose coming in. And you're going to multiply that seed sown and you're going to increase their fruits of righteousness and they will be enriched to every good work. And Father, till I see them again, I call them blessed 
covenant protection over everyone in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, shake somebody's hand, and you may come and give your offering. Oh, sorry, ushers, I'm still breaking out of that. Miss Selma is up here. You may come up here and give your offering, Selma, and we'll see you guys.